0: You, really most of you don't have any idea who I am, uh, but it's interesting. I actually feel like City Church International, uh, the Dallas campus, is like home. Uh, when I went to school, I was a maintenance guy, and Brad Weir and his wife, uh, they had really just started City Church, and I remember they were praying for the apartments next door because it was basically a, a drug house. And they were praying that this thing, right, was going to go away. And it did. And I remember thinking, I want to hang out with these kind of people. I want to pray and live like these people because they they want to see their community radically change. And so Brad and Angela, over the years, there was this family called the Popes, Cody and Shelly Pope. I don't know if they interact here much at all, but um, they had an apartment where we were at. And so when City Church International was really getting going we kind of got to watch it go from house to their their church building. And uh, so when I heard about and, and met Keith and then you guys had planted here, it was kind of a, you don't even know this, but it's kind of like a warm fuzzy extension. Just like, man, praise the Lord, because if what God's doing there is he's doing here, thank you, Lord. And so I just want to just say I, I'm, I'm really honored to to be here my travel schedule is a little crazy uh, sometimes, so it's always kind of hard to to land the plane. And I do leave off for uh, Malawi, South Africa, and Malawi next this coming Saturday. But man, anytime you can just be home, you know, uh, and just hang out. And you know, the timing of of what uh, Pastor Keith was talking about. Did they call you Pastor Keith? Is that official? Okay. You know, you know. Look, when you travel all over, everybody has titles, right? You know kind of deal? I've been called Reverend Bishop Dr. Kyle. And I'm like, you can just stick to Kyle. It's okay. But what's going on in, in Israel is crazy. It's real. And, you know, we're going to walk through a little bit of the Israeli side through the word. And how do you respond to that? But then also, what, what really is our role? And so hopefully this serves as a launching pad for you tonight, even more as a discussion. Because you cannot be a believer and ignore what's going on. You know, uh, I, I'm serious, like I grew up in northern Indiana, and in northern Indiana, I grew up in a community, I'm not, but we have Amish, you guys know what Amish are? They really don't have electricity, and like my parents have an Ace Hardware store, so we have these customers and friends all the time, uh, but like you really can't live as if you don't know what's going on anymore. We have a role as believers to be on watch. And we're going to walk through a text today that's going to come from Second Kings 7 but you know let me just state this in case everybody is a little bit behind or you're kind of like I don't know about my news who should I listen to what does that look like I've I've had a really strong relationship with Israel even to the role of some of their government some of their believers pastors ministry leaders and you're going to have the arab side and you're going to have the jewish side and then somewhere you have believers in there and then you have some people that don't even care about anything the reality is this last Saturday, on October 7th, you saw the worst day in Israel since, literally since 50 years ago, since Yom Kippur War in 1973. And you have a group called Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist group. Yes, they run and control literally the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip could be, it depends who you ask, anywhere from 1.8 to 2.5 million people. And this place is packed with people. And it's packed with people, but not everybody there wants to kill everybody. But it is controlled and funded by Iran. This is not political statements. This is true. Okay, so you have a country in Iran. They're telling, basically, the Hamas are kind of like their puppets. They're basically feeding them money. Okay, hang on. I'll get in the scripture, but you've got to see this, how this fits in. They're being fed money. And in that process, yes, they are building tunnels. Yes, you did see paragliders come in. So they're coming through sea, underground, and in air. And they have one, one goal. It's to wipe off Israel off the face of the map. That's it. Don't let anybody tell you any other reason. Hezbollah is in the north. So you have Israel and then you have Lebanon, right? And by the way, Israel's like the size of Jersey. It's super small. But when God has said, that's my people, everybody watches. And the enemies will come to wipe off them. Why? Does anybody know why? Because the Messiah came from Israel. The Messiah came from the Jewish people. So what does the enemy want to do? Not get him to come back and at least his people. I'm setting the stage because you have Hezbollah, a terrorist group that's funded by uh, Iran, Hamas, funded by Iran. So now you have this crazy interaction, plus you have all of these layers. And so this is this week, right? You're on, I think, is it day nine now since last Saturday? I mean, it's pretty intense. And I tell you that story because of what we're going to look at in 2 Kings. That's real time today. I have friends on the front lines of IDF today. Like I have brothers and believers in the Lord that are putting on a green uniform to defend their nation. Like we're coming to church and there's people trying to kill their whole nation. This is real. I talked to a good friend two days ago and his wife on Zoom. We started doing these YouTube chats with some of my friends from Israeli government folks to Palestinians that are in Bethlehem. We couldn't talk to our friends in Gaza because right now everything's shut off. And by the way, it's not a bad thing either. People are going to play this card in America, you guys. Hey, we're pro-Palestine. You guys, don't, don't fall into any of that stuff, please. These are not political statements, you guys. They really are trying to kill the people of God. And so I talked to a friend of mine on his 30th birthday. He was wearing a machine gun on Zoom with me on Facebook. And then his wife was on the call. How do you parent kids when your dad is at war? And by the way, two days before, a friend of ours was killed in the fight. I'm telling you this story because it's real, but when you look at 2 Kings 7, you think, man, that that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's it's being relived all over again. And when I told Pastor Keith this was the story that we were going to lead, this had nothing to do with the story that was going on. We didn't know the Israeli fight was going to happen. That's how God sets this thing up. You look at Second Kings, specifically chapter 6, and I know it's not on your slide. Yeah, it is. We have it up here. Thank you. Sometime later, King Ben-Hadid of Aram brought all of his military units together and he marched up to besiege Samaria. And so there was a great famine in Samaria and they continued the siege until a donkey's head for 80 silver shekels and a cup of dove dung sold for five silver shekels. In other words, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop. King Jehoram. He was the king of Israel's northern kingdom. What most people don't understand about Israel back then was Israel was divided. You have King David. You have King Solomon. But after Solomon, you guys, after the 40 years of reign of Solomon, the the, the kingdoms were divided. So then you have the northern and the southern, okay? This is the northern king. So when you even hear language like today, hey, by the way, this is the closest that Israel's been unified in a long time, that's actually a good thing. I'm not talking about the tribes being unified, but politically Israel has been a mess. Have you guys noticed this? Have you figured this thing out? They can't figure out who their PM is, their prime minister. They're always trying to vote and revote and revote. And so this is the case here. You have King Jehoram. He, by the way, this is how bad this guy is. He is the son of he is the son of Ahab and Jezebel. You guys know what I mean by that? You got this lady Jezebel. This is the son of that. That's who his heritage is. You're like, dear Lord. So it's been so bad that the Arameans, the enemy, is now going to come in and besiege Samaria, this area. And by the way, nothing is coming in and going. And so in other words, the people of God are surrounded by the enemies. This is real. This is a real story. Sounds like I just told the story from today. So you have the Arameans, right? They're coming in, and it's gotten so bad, food has gotten cut off. Everything has gotten cut off, and everybody is like, where where do we even go? Famine is coming. This is going to sound graphic, but they're taking animals, feces, and they're selling it. Doves, dung, that's what we're talking about. They're selling donkey's heads. Like It's so drastic, they're eating things that they would never eat before and it even gets even worse says at some point then they actually begin to actually eat children i'm trying to actually this is this is a real story but if you heard any of the graphic images that are taking place this last week it's not far off it's a replay of second kings and second kings 7 And by the way, you're going to see that all throughout the Torah and the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the first 39 books. And here's what's the craziest thing. There's a man named Elisha, S-H, (coughs) E-L-I-S-H-A. And all of a sudden, Elisha has a prophetic word for his people. Amidst the bad, amidst the craziness, amidst the, I don't know how I'm going to survive right now. As this happens, what's really interesting is, is Elisha's getting ready to release a prophetic word. Now, when I say prophetic word, I, I don't know what kind of stream you guys run in, but I will tell you this. In First Thessalonians 5, it says, do not despise prophetic utterances, and it says, then you test everything, and it says you hold on to what is good, I'm paraphrasing, and then you let go of the evilness. Does that make sense? I actually believe, even in 1 Corinthians, it says that every one of us should actually look to embrace the prophetic. So when you have a man of God, Elisha, coming in, and guess what? He's getting ready to do, he's getting ready to release a prophetic word. So in 2 Kings 7, here's your handout, okay? <coughs> Thank you. It's working. That's just the awesome. This is Steve. Thanks, Steve. You guys know Steve. I just met Steve. Can everybody just say, good job, Steve, because here's the deal. This all works together. You know that, right? I love the body of Christ, so thanks, man. And so here's what I want to just say. When we keep going here, uh, it just says this. This is what I want us to understand in your handout. I want us to begin to believe that it can get better. Thanks. You heard my voice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So now watch this. As bad as it is, the Arameans are coming to overtake, right, the Israelites. Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow at the gate of Samaria, six quarts of fine meal will sell for a shekel and 12 quarts of barley will sell for a shekel. This is the Israeli money, okay? The the Israeli new shekel is what they use now. But the prophetic comes in and he says, hey, by the way, the economy in about a day, it's going to radically change. And you know what I'm thinking? Who told you? Right? Do you realize the condition that I'm in right now? Do you realize that my family is cowering for life? We don't even have any money. We don't have any food. And a prophet comes in, thus saith the Lord, hey, by the way, tomorrow it's going to get better. I will tell you this. You either believe the word of God is true or you don't. When you look into what's happening in Israel, you actually, as crazy as it's getting, you should have hope, like radical hope. But the only way you can have hope is if you're in the word of God and you believe the word that has been promised. And so you have to actually, Scripture just says, believe that it can actually get better. And by the way, he even gives you a time frame. Isn't that crazy? Are you telling me in 24 hours, all of this stuff is going to be fixed? Fixed? And I think what's really crazy about all of this is in bad times, you and I have to believe that God can make it better. You're going to hear a lot of stuff coming. Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Times of Israel, whatever whatever your viewpoint is, I don't care. If you are being based on this, you will know it's going to get better. But it might not be your timeline. And so in this process of uh, things, uh, believing that it can get better, I want to just say this, though. It, it's interesting. Where am I clicking? Am I clicking over here? Yeah. I feel like I should. <laughs> Somebody start clicking over here. <laughs> I'm clicking at Dick over here. Sorry, Dick, you know, or uh, Bobby. Is it Bobby? Yeah. Right? Maybe Robert in the back. I'm going to click at the computer. So, okay. <laughs> Let's get... Let me go back. I don't know if I can go back. I should have stopped talking. Steve, you've got to help me again. Okay, so here's the deal. In the middle of everything going, thank, uh, keep going. Can you go back? I click. There you go. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I want you to understand this. As the word was released, then the captain, the king's right-hand man, responded to the man of God. Look, even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this really happen? Elijah announced, you will, in fact, he said, see with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. As the prophetic word is released, I'm just going to tell you now, you should expect the naysayers to come. Mm-hmm. You will have people in the church, in your country, in your community, wherever, in the political system, yeah, right, nothing's going to change tomorrow. There's always a naysayer. Can somebody give me a definition of a naysayer? Nah. Somebody who's a pessimist or what else? A nah. <laughs> You're the half-empty guy. No, it's half-full, right? That's the mentality, right? Those people wear you out. They wear me out. I'm serious. When you live based on the word of God, you actually will believe God's always in this. And as believers, we got to act like it. We got to act like God is actually in control. Don't be the naysayer, the Debbie Downer. Sorry if your name's Debbie. I always feel bad whenever you say that. You're kind of like, ah. Uh. Because interesting enough, look, the guy says, even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, even if that were to mean floods, even if he was to bring the floods all over the place, ah, I don't know if this could really happen. <laughs> I want to just say, Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do not live in what culture says. Don't be feeding and buying into these lies. I'm, I'm serious, you guys. The church has actually got to act like we have a backbone. And we believe that what God said is going to come to fruition. But the problem is that many of us don't have a backbone because we don't even know what He promised. Come on, amen. Like that's the reality is that the church, sometimes we're functioning in fear of the end times when we have nothing to fear. We just got to get into the Word of God and spend time in the scriptures. Now, people are like, I'm so intimidated by revelation. You should see five books. It's all a preface to that. The first 39 books of the Old Testament, they point to all of this. And so I just want to just say, when God says, hey, I'm not done with my, my people, don't be the naysayer. In fact, is it just says this. Are you, yeah, thanks. It's interesting because in all of this, I love this, you have to have a posture of we have nothing to lose. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. This is awesome. 2 Kings 7, it says, for men, with four men, four, one, two, three, four, Men with a skin disease, leprosy, they were at the entrance to the gate. This is the gate, right? Okay, we'll talk about this. That's at Samaria. They can't can't come in. They can't go. Why, Why are they at the gate? Because they're lepers. Nobody knows what to do with these people. They said, why would we just sit here until we die if we say, let's go into the city? Well, we'll die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we'll also die. So now, come on, let's go to the Arameans' camp. If they let us live... We'll live. If they kill us, well, we'll die. In other words, we, we, don't, have any, we don't have anything to lose. You know, it's in Matthew 9, 9, 17. You guys know this text. It, it's, it's this mindset of we need to walk into a new wineskin mentality. If you want to see a change in Garland, you can't keep functioning in an old wineskin thought. I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes I think I've traveled enough, I think, in America and beginning to be overseas as well, that people are like, why doesn't God move? Why doesn't God do things? I would just say, because sometimes I think we do the same thing for 13 years or the same thing for 20 years. And God said, I told you to do something different five years ago. Does that make sense? We got to believe that what? That God has already gone ahead of us, and then in the process, we got nothing to lose when we start thinking, okay, well, what do we need to do? And so, church, if we want to see a move of God, we cannot sit at the gate any longer. I love when I go to church, it's like, hey, would you start helping us equip people to engage the community? We love sharing the gospel. And then I say, well, great, when do you do it? And they go, well, um, we have a food pantry. I think those are great, by the way. Uh, And they list all of these works things, but you guys, they never share the gospel. Are you with me on that component there? I think those things are great. But you cannot expect the lost just to come and sit here on Ferguson Road. They're not going to come in and just sit here, you guys. Is that how Jesus was wired? Is that how Jesus was wired? Isn't that the craziest thing, though? When we start asking that question... We're well, like, I wonder if we really do his model. And I'm a part of the church. I love the church, so I'm not like, hey, hey, hey. I'm just, I'm just trying to be real here. And if we want to see something change, you guys, we can't sit at the gate any longer. And I, I, love, I love, and it's the four lepers that decide they got to do something about it, right? The four lepers, <laughs> the most unlikely people. They said, you know what? I'm not trained in anything. I have no degrees. I don't have any experience. In fact, nobody even wants to be near us. Sounds like the most likely candidate. And that should give every one of us hope. And in the process, I want to go to your your third point here, if you would, please. You know, what I love is, is that when you believe that God has, we have nothing to lose, you can already believe that God's already at work. Okay, you believe that it's going to get better. You've got nothing to lose. Now watch this. God is already working. When I, when I talk to my friends in Israel, which we've done many times this week, they, they, they believe this. They believe that God is already going to spare them. And By the way, it's not because of the Iron Dome. I think the Iron Dome is amazing, but the Iron Dome is not the answer. God is. God is already at work. Now watch this in verses 5, 6, and 7 if you can. Thanks, Steve, for just rolling with me. So the diseased men, they got up at twilight to go to the Arameans' camp. When they came to the camp's edge, by the way, I have to wonder, who was the leader? Yeah, you go ahead first. <laughs> I ain't going, you go. Right? It's these four guys or gals, I don't know. it. And so it says, it. Well, it is guys. So the diseased men got up at the twilight. They go to the camp. When they come to the camp's edge... They discovered there wasn't a single man there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a great army. The Arameans had said to each other, The king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they had gotten up when? At twilight. When did those guys go? Twilight. Twilight. It's so crazy. Abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys, the camp was intact, and they had fled for their lives. Here's what I want to just tell you guys. Is that in your obedience, when you trust the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you walk out in obedience at that time, God has everything set up. Let me clarify the Holy Spirit's role. When you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's the strangest thing to me, you guys, when I talk about the Holy Spirit in conservative charismatics, you guys, it's weird. You just have to have an understanding. He's inside of us and he's speaking to us. Romans 8 says, those that are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So every day he's speaking to the lepers, that's us. He's speaking to us and as he's speaking to us, you and I have an option. Do we wanna obey or not? I'm so thankful that the lepers obeyed, why? Because at that same time, God had already gone ahead of them. I've said this many, many times, and it's kind of a weird statement. It won't get get me kicked out, but it's close. I believe the first voice that you and I hear as a believer in Jesus is the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the first voice. But then there's a weird second voice that comes in, and that second voice is always your voice trying to figure out if that was his voice. Does that, does that make sense? You're like, should I go talk to the guy? I don't know. Was that the Lord? Probably not. Right? You know how you go through this cycle of obedience, should I obey? And then the third voice, this is where it gets weird, is the enemy saying, you never heard him in the first place. Thomas, am I right? That's how it works. Either you're laughing out of conviction or laughing out of I believe you. Okay. Here's what I want to just say. Is that every one of us, you and I, we, we have an opportunity to believe that God has already gone ahead of us. And so now all of a sudden, you, you can believe that God's timing is perfect. Yesterday, uh, today's Sunday, on Friday, I was at Panda Express on Plano Road. And I was walking out, and there was a lady carrying a bag. It was an employee, and she's walking in the store, and I go out to the parking lot, and the Holy Spirit said, go, talk to her. And I was like, because you go through your mind, all the things that you have in your day, your schedules, your thoughts, your your calls, and you can out-justify the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Am I right? This side. Is that speaker work over there? You're like, I ain't answering him. And I I decided to go back in, and my family now has gotten to the point, my friends have gotten to the point, just go, just go, it's fine. I mean, (laughs) it sounds bad. They're supportive, but they just get kind of used to it after a while, you know. And so I walk in, and I said, hey, what do you got there in your bag? And she's like, well, I have a gift. And I was just like, well, here we go. I got to share the gospel with her. I'm going to give you the condensed version. And she goes, this is what she said to me how How did you know I needed to hear this today? I go i didn't <laughs> The holy spirit is is the guide in my life, and I just want to encourage you guys like when you when you already believe that God's working, his timing, timing is is perfect for all of us. and i think what's interesting is is that when you believe this then you really understand and will begin to believe there's nothing to fear there's nothing to fear finances don't fear finances don't fear the enemy don't fear your peers don't fear your workplace don't fear your boss don't fear the culture don't fear the social media when you believe, and I'm just going to tell you, you're going to start teaching and training yourself to hear from the Holy Spirit more and more. Okay, now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't stay inside of them. Like the Holy Spirit came and, and went for, to call us for certain things, right? Does that make sense? And so what you have here is these lepers just out of sheer obedience. We've got nothing to lose. And they, they actually believe that God's timing is, is perfect. I love Hebrews 11 and 11. Uh, actually, Hebrews eleven one on this one. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is seen. Like I, I'm getting to the point in my life. This is not an arrogant statement. This is just reality. That as soon as I hear something from the Lord, I'm just going to walk it out. I'm just going to walk it out. I uh, had a message. We had this thing called Revive School. Revive School. It teaches Genesis through Revelation. It's 66 books. It teaches you literally where is the Messiah in every book of the Bible. Uh, it also teaches you the role of Israel. This thing has exploded. We did this for 12 guys in Indiana in 18 and 19 because a former Amish guy had a vision that I'm supposed to teach a bunch of people. When I say a bunch, I mean 12. And so for two years, you know what I did? I hold up in my office. And I taught through 730 lessons in the scriptures. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. I've traveled all over and that was way harder. You know, preparing one message, that's hard. We had to do seven to 14 brand new ones every every week for two years. My wife, Laura, who you guys have met before, Laura actually wrote through the whole scripture. Uh, in a devotional. We had teams that did questions. We had teams that did lesson plans. And you know who we did this for? 12 people. 12. Why am I even telling you this? Because I didn't have any plans of being in Africa in one week. But you see, once you put this thing together for these two years... God began to explode and took it all over the world. Like literally, we're in 87 countries, 86, excuse me. We're almost in 87, 86 countries. The 87th country that we're working on is in Jordan right now. Just last week, one of my friends, the Lord said, text him right now. And so I I did. I said, hey, this is my friend in Jordan. Do you guys ever do that? That was my texting style. I don't know if you're like, what is he doing with his thumbs? (laughs) So I texted my friend, and he said, hey, why why did you text me at this time? Did you touch this guy? And this guy said, no, man, Holy Spirit in my prayer time just said text you and ask you if you're ready to start Revive School in Amman, Jordan. And he goes, in two weeks, we're planting a church in Jordan with a group of 15 to 20 Jordanians. And we made a flyer that talked about the role of Jesus throughout Scripture. And he goes, and I didn't know how I was going to teach it. I go, well, would you like us to help you with Revive School and start this thing? In two weeks, he goes, what an answer to prayer. Look, this has nothing to do with me or the ministry. It has everything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and believing that God has already gone ahead. And then I have to tell you, it becomes really fun. Like, if your life is boring, you're probably not walking with Jesus. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with his obedience, of your obedience to him. Are you with me? These aren't harsh. This is reality. And this is how the church has to get ready for the return of Christ. He's going to come back for a bride that's ready and willing to walk this thing out. And you got four lepers. that have nothing to lose. And like, I believe it. Let's go. Let's go, I'm in, I'm in. I'm I'm gonna do this, by the way. And so here we go, let's go to the, if you keep going with me. And so you really do have to, you have to begin to walk out what you hope for. If you wanna see garland changed, you cannot just stay praying. And here you take it, Frederick Douglass says, you take your praying knees and they become legs and you walk out. And so when these men came to the edge of the camp, (laughs) it says they went into a tent to eat and drink, Remember why? Because where's the enemies at this time? They're gone. I think sometimes, don't we, in our minds, we make things worse than what they are. And then they were stuck. You got to walk out what you're hoping for. So then they picked up the silver, gold, and clothing. They went off and then they hit them. (laughs) These guys are like jackpot. (laughs) They came back and they entered another tent, picked up things, and then they hit them. You guys, here was a gold mine. Literally a gold (laughs) mine. I just, I just, I laugh about these four because I just think about it when they first started. One guy just probably shoved the other guy. You go first, <laughs> you know. And now they're like rushing into tents. Look, I'm just going to tell you: when you begin to walk out what you hope for, this is not a prosperity message. You just begin to embrace God's fullness in your life. You begin to experience His fullness. I'm in Malawi, Africa, okay? A lot of people maybe have never been to Malawi. It's a small little country. It's called the Warm Heart of Africa. (laughs) And I had a dream a year ago, last June. This is the craziest, this is the craziest story. I had a dream in Richardson. I live in Richardson, okay? I can say that because you guys might have an idea, right, where that is. When you're in Africa, you're like, Richardson, they're like, okay. And so I had a dream that the president of Malawi called the whole country to repent, And because of this revived school that we have done, and because of God blessing it and getting it into so many countries, we actually had a connection to the president of Malawi. We had 50 schools already in Malawi that had been established throughout the country. So how do you call a president and say, hey, would you call the country to repent? We need to be like you guys trying to figure it out. So we did. And the president said, if you can get the local church behind it, I'm in. And then I was like, I don't know what that means. My first thought is the 2010 revival. Should we just start gathering everybody? So I went in January of this last year. We met with over 3,000 pastors. By the way, I'd never been to Malawi. And we went to uh, Blantyre, Balaka, Lalongwe, and Mizuzu. And we just saw the hand of God just say, the grace was so real and so evident. That then we went back in June and rented four stadiums in the country. <laughs> it's almost comical. Because when it's so God, you can start walking into tents saying, well, God, where's everybody? Where's all the enemies? God just says, because I'm in this. Trust me. If it... <laughs> I'm just telling you guys, we overthink everything as believers. I had a dream, and I'm not even a charismatic dude. It's not like in our church we talk about dreams and visions, but in Scripture it says it can happen until he comes back. Joel 2 and Acts 2, it says it's going to happen. And so now here I am walking out on behalf of the president of their country with their officers and their guards, and we're going from city to city calling the country to repent. You walk with a different authority, let me just tell you. And then I felt convicted. Why don't I walk with... That anyway, with the King of Kings. And so then we went back in August, and by then, you guys, these doors were just swinging wide open. The Commissioner General of Malawi gave us all 31 prisons and said, Please come do ministry in all 31 prisons. The Inspector General of 16,000 police officers of Malawi had said, Please, let's start schools in our headquarters. I'm telling you, when you walk in obedience, the tents will just start swinging open. But you got to trust what you hear in the first place. And I'm going to tell you, scripturally, it just says, when you use the one talent you have, what does he do? He gives you more. And so I actually believe, start trusting the Holy Spirit in the smallest things. Like, hey, maybe some of you have to apologize to your spouse because the Holy Spirit's prompted you, and you're like, I'm not doing that. Like, trust those things, you guys, in your home, in your family, in the local church, and then he might give you a nation. Not because you're qualified, just because you're obedient. That's all he's looking for in City Church, right here. It's just obedient believers that believes God's going to show up. You just got to start walking out what you hope for. They didn't even have backpacks probably back then. Can you imagine? Like, what are they going to? How are they carrying all this stuff? In my mind, I always visualize all these things, and I probably shouldn't anymore. But okay, now watch this. Let's go on to the next one, if you don't mind, Steve. And as a result of God working, we cannot stay silent. Watch this text. This text blew me out of the water when I began to read it. It says, then they said to each other, okay, scripture will be here in verse nine. We're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until morning light, our sin will catch up with us. Let's go to tell the king's household. So the outcasts that we're not even welcome with anybody What did they just hear? What did they realize they were supposed to do? Somebody give me feedback. They were supposed to go share. And look what they they called it—good news. Today is a day of good news. We just found the answer. How dare we keep it to ourselves? (laughs) There's no hoarding here. These lepers. Are beginning to understand 2 Corinthians 6 2. If you would, I don't know if it's in your handout, but write this down. 2 Corinthians 6 2. It says, Look, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation. Church, we, we cannot wait any longer with this good news that you and I have. We can't stay quiet any longer. Well, why is it good news? Because the reality is because Jesus has set us free from everything else. And I, I love this text in Acts 3, 6. Write this down just so we, you guys know this isn't a whole prosperity deal. Peter said this, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk. Jesus Christ is the good news. On these wristbands, does everybody have your wristband? Can I, can I show you something really cool? Okay, you might have to pull it off, but on the inside of your wristband, is the Old Testament. There are five verses from the Torah and the Tanakh, right? The Law and the Prophets, the Moses and and the Prophets. And it actually, when you start on the color yellow, you'll see Ecclesiastes. Do you see that? Solomon begins to write about how everybody actually sins. And then when you look at it, when you go, because Hebrew goes right to left, then when you go to the black in Davarim, Deuteronomy... 24, verse 16, sin, not our sin because of our dad or because of our parents. The sin is leads to death because of us. And then when you get to the red, you'll see it on here. Leviticus 17, 11. what does this say? Life is in the blood. So all of a sudden here you have, right? Moshe, Moses is now writing about the only way the Israelites could receive forgiveness of the sin and death is through what? The blood, the sacrifices that happened over and over and over and over. And then when you go to the blue, here's where it gets really fun. In Isaiah, the prophet begins to write about a coming Messiah that's gonna release them from all of this. And he's gonna go through, and Isaiah 53 says, and what is this one I have on here? Verse five, Isaiah 53 verse five says, hey, by the way, because of what he's gone through, we can be healed. This coming prophet that they're talking, about by the way, the Jews are still waiting for this Messiah. The Jews are still waiting for the coming Messiah. We're waiting for the Messiah to return. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. Hamas is still a Gentile. Does that make sense? If you're not Jewish in this room, you're a Gentile. And so what you have here is, is these prophets are talking about this coming Messiah is coming. And then when you get into the green in Jeremiah 31, 33, he's going to begin talking about a new heart that he's going to give you. He's gonna start talking about a new covenant that he's gonna give you. And it can only come through the Messiah. Now, when you flip it on the inside or flip it to the the New Testament, okay, it has the same words, but now it's the New Testament. In Romans three, you'll see that everybody in this room, we sin and sin will always lead to the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. When you go to the red, Romans five, eight, but God demonstrates his love through Christ, him dying on the cross. His love takes away the sin and the death. The girl at Panda Express. It's crazy to me, you guys. People don't know this news. And she said, I don't know how you know I needed this, but she also just said, I've never heard this either. I talked to two kids at Berkner High School. You guys heard Berkner and Richardson? Two kids at a McDonald's. They were wearing matching shirts. That was kind of my connection with them. It's like, why are you guys wearing matching shirts? Started to talk through the good news, and they said, I... I've never heard this before in my life. Can I tell you why? Because we've gone into the tent and we've kept the good news for ourselves. We can't stay silent any longer. And people are like, Kyle, this feels like almost like you got to do works. I'm just telling you what Jesus asked us to do. And he said, go and tell everybody, make disciples, baptize and teach them until I come back. But for some reason, over time, the the lepers have sat in the tent and were like, I like this for myself. We were never designed to stay in the tent. You have to get out of the tent. And this scripture verse here, just two more colors, so you know it, sin, death, love, is that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the scripture just says you can't earn it. You can't go to church enough. You can't read enough. It's by faith because of God's grace. and you have faith in his love, sin and death go away. Amen? Amen. And it's the best. And this is what I love. And I, Panda Express, I go, hey, by the way, you get eternal life when you, when you believe this. It's like people begin to feel this relief. So one of the ways you can pray in Israel is pray that God would start raising up that small little 1% of believers in the country of Israel and that they would begin to release the good news all over the country. Because when you talk to the IDF soldiers, when you talk to our friends in the political circles, when you talk to believers in congregations, they're not churches there, by the way, they're congregations. When you talk to them, you know what they keep asking for? Give us opportunities to share the good news. More people are hungry now than we've ever seen in Israel, ever. Ever. Why? Because they're beginning to wonder how all of this fits together. So you have sin, death, love, faith, and life. And the reality is, is we gotta just get out of the tent. Let's keep going because of time here. Uh, If we're silent and wait until morning light, our sin will catch up with us. We'll just keep going if we can. And so what did they do? They went and they began to call the city's gatekeepers and they told them the story, okay? Hey, by the way, we found an unbelievable story. Do you know how many people would be like, I don't know, who are you guys again? Uh, What church are you affiliated with? What denomination are you connected with? How many followers do you have? Like whatever, we come up with all these qualifiers, right? To say you have a voice or not. Can I just tell you, you have a voice. Every one of you has a voice. And i i gotta I wanna just do something here real quick um, Thomas, you have a voice uh Robert, you have a voice uh Bethany, I don't know where you're at, Bethany. you were in here earlier. She's with the kids. she still has a voice uh Bobby, you have a voice. Uh, next to Bobby, is it Sheila? Sheila, you have a voice. Uh, where's Wilson? Is it Wilson? Wilson, in the back. Even if you're in the back row, you have a voice, Wilson. You have it. Uh, Dick, what? I know you're a hugger, <laughs> but you have a voice. Huh. Uh, you're Justice. He's back there. Uh, Ian, where's my Ian worship guy? Ian. You have a voice. And I want to say something. A lot of times we stereotype how our voice has to sound. Can I just tell you the stereotype that you think your voice is, it's probably not that. Okay? Does that make sense? We label ourselves in what we think our voice is and how it has to sound when the reality is, is it's probably usually not the case. That's the enemy just trying to keep us in a box. Uh, okay, I tried. Is it? I heard. I wrote your name down like five times, and I kept scratching it out. Caston Cassidy, yes. Caston. Yes. You all kind of say it differently, by the way. <laughs> Caston. I love apartment life. Uh, keep using your voice. The Connors are waiting, man. Um, is it Zoe? Zoe? Uh, keep using your voice. You know, city city church. You guys, you can't stay. Quiet. You can't stay silent any longer. You have the best news ever. You and I have been set free. We can't stay in this tent any longer. And you got to go out and you got to start telling people. And as you tell people, there's a little simple point there. You're going to have to push through the skepticism. There are going to be people that are going to be like, I don't like you. I don't like your message. You keep going. You keep pushing through this. If Christ receives skepticism, you should as well. If you're not receiving skepticism, then I challenge you to start doing the the Lord's work. Because when you start releasing the word in America, it will come. When you start releasing it in Malawi, it will come. When you start releasing it, I'll be in South Africa in a couple of days. It will come. It will happen. But it doesn't justify us staying silent any longer. And as you see here in the points, and I'm going to try to wrap up here, so thanks for your patience. God's word will come true. Can I summarize really quick in Israel what's going to happen? Is that eventually... There's going to be an antichrist that's going to come in, and he's going to negotiate a deal. I don't know if it has in relation to this war or not. I am intrigued, though, that they call this Operation Swords of Iron. And Operation Swords of Iron, my first thought when I heard this, I go to Isaiah 2, I go to Micah 3. It just says, eventually, all of those wars of weapon will be tur- turned into prun- like uh, plowshares. All of the weapons will be turned into plowshares. And it's crazy, you guys that they would list something like this because eventually the fighting is going to come to a peace. By the way, it's a false peace, by the way. And this peace is going to come in because of an antichrist. And I'm just going to tell you, watch. Just watch. Somebody's going to come in and negotiate a clean deal. Everybody's going to be like, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. But that peace deal is going to last for seven years. And for the first three and a half years, don't buy into this lie that this peace is going to be clean and easy. It's still going to be hell on earth. It's called tribulation. And halfway through in this three and a half years, at the halfway point, you can expect, by the way, the Dome of the Rock, actually, in Aqsa Mosque, where it is in, in Israel, right? At some point, that actually has to either go away or they have to come to terms and the Temple Mount has to be built right next to it. Either way, the Temple Mount has to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, why? So the Antichrist can come in and stand in the Temple Mount and declare himself God. This stuff is real and it's actually going to happen. So when you watch for peace and all of a sudden, by the way, the Jordanians actually rule right now, the Temple Mount area, the Dome of the Rock area, they oversee that. When you begin to see peace shift, fighting stop, again, I'm not correlating it maybe with this war, but it could, it could. And after the last three and a half years, all hell is gonna break out. It's called the Great Tribulation. There's so much we could go into on this. So much you could unpack, but despite all of this, do you guys realize that there's going to be 144,000? Do you know this? And when I say this, I don't mean to make fun of them, but they're not, they're not Jehovah Witnesses. They're not Mormons. They're not some cult. 144,000 are actually Jewish evangelists that are virgins. And you know what they've been commissioned to do? Go share the good news. That's why there's going to be a seal on their head. So nothing can touch them as they go and share the good news. I feel like the lepers are a prophetic picture of the church that we cannot contain any longer. We have to go share the good news. And I actually think it's a prophetic picture of the 144,000 that they're going to go out eventually and share the good news. Everybody with me? I just went really fast, really quick. But I'm telling you, the church, it's time that we stop drinking milk and you start eating meat. When you start eating meat, I'm telling you, you can't stay quiet any longer. And it's because you actually believe God's word is going to come true. I hope and pray that Jesus Christ comes back in my lifetime. I don't know. Rapture, no rapture, when. I don't, get, don't get caught up on that. You live as if he's going to, what? You pray as if he's going to come back for us, but you live and prepare as if you're going to have to be in it. And one of the best ways to be prepared is start telling people about Jesus. You all have... Uh, A wristband. Today's Sunday. I used to always do these challenges like, hey, in one month, come back and tell us your story. That's so long. Could you just start praying that this week you'd have an opportunity to share this and don't keep it? Give it away. Give it away. And so start praying for these opportunities like you guys do. You guys are gonna meet on the October 28th. To keep going through this. Praise the Lord that you guys even talk like this. And if you have this mentality of that you believe it can get better, you have nothing to lose, God's already at work, you can't stay silent, and God's word will come true, if you actually live like this, guess what? God will show up in really fun ways in this church. I just want to say, um, I love talking about the Lord. And I I just feel like I want to close a little bit differently. I don't normally do this. Um, Is there anybody in this room that would like for your voice to be stronger for the Lord? Okay, it's okay if you do or you don't, but I just, can I have you just stand up if you would like your voice to be stronger for the Lord? And it's okay if you don't stand up. This is not, because that might be you're right, you're great where you're at. You're like, I'm not ready there. This is not a, don't take it on any other way. I'm just going with what I hear. Because uh, I, I really believe he's waiting for the lepers to to realize you have a voice. And the scripture just says that you can actually fan the flame, the gift that's inside of you, And I actually believe just what I have in me, I believe it can come to you in encouragement and fan the flame. Does that make sense? And so an evangelist, by the way, is not somebody who goes and shares the gospel. An evangelist is somebody who equips the saints to go do the work. But every one of us has been called to share the good news.